Uh, welcome to a Brooklyn Nets loss instant reaction to the Evan Roberts podcast. I think this is the vision I had for this podcast for the 57 people or maybe more. Maybe it's 112 people that care about the Brooklyn Nets. The opportunity after a win, but more likely a loss to vent and speak about a game that honestly, how much time can I really spend on the fan doing? You know, Joe will give me a couple of minutes but I can't sit there doing a half hour on the Nets, and I know that. And so this podcast, I think when I thought about doing it a little less than a year ago, this was the vision I had. The vision I had was turning a microphone on, bitching about Kenny Atkinson, probably bitching about the officials, which I try not to do very often, and complain about a frustrating Brooklyn net loss. And that's exactly what happened tonight in the season opener against the Pistons, whether you're listening the night of or the next day, or just for you-know-what and giggles, you're listening to this six months later after the Nets lost their 60th game. Whenever you decided this was the season opener in Detroit, and obviously you get teased early. The Nets start off 8-0. Jared Allen has the block of the year, if you will, against Blake Griffin, in which he stole his soul, and I enjoyed it. And really, the first quarter of this game was enjoyable all the way around because the Nets played good basketball. And Jared Allen was blossoming before our eyes. And Karis LeVert was blossoming before our eyes. And the Nets were playing at their pace. And despite not hitting a lot of threes, the Nets were not getting torched in the paint. They were not getting torched on the glass. They got Andre Drummond eventually in a foul trouble. In fact, he picked up, I think it was his fifth foul and had to play the final majority of the fourth quarter with those five fouls. But this game started well. And then the Pistons finally realized, hey, maybe we should start pounding the basketball with Blake Griffin down low because Jared Dudley can't stick with him. And the Pistons defensively did a great, did a very good job getting out, contesting threes. The Nets could not hit threes in this game. They got Jared Allen into foul trouble in the third quarter. And basically, in the second half of this game, the Nets couldn't hit shots. That's what it came down to. They just couldn't hit shots. And I'm a big believer in closing out quarters strong. They did not close the first quarter strong. Remember, they had a 10-point lead at one point, I think with about two minutes to go. And Detroit closed on a 5-0 run. That was capped off by Blake Griffin, of all people, hitting a three, which is just obnoxious. But really, here was the close that that really frustrated me, the close to the third quarter. They were down by as many as 13 in the third quarter because it was just a nightmare of a quarter. What else is new? Nets can't hit shots. Pistons are pounding the ball down low. They're crushing them in the paint. They're doing everything they didn't do in the first half of this game. They're down by five. Joe Harris has a great look for three. It rattles out. And then Kurich, the rookie, fouls Griffin as time expires. So why not just tack on a couple of more points and they're down by seven going into the fourth quarter. And th this was the other thing that just, yeah, it just, just slaps you in the face. Andre Drummond hits a three early in the fourth quarter to put the Pistons up eight. And I and Eagle said on the broadcast, hey, that's today's NBA. Even Andre Drummond's hitting a three. Now, I thought to myself, I said, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. I have made this joke. It's not even that funny, but I've made this joke numerous times that the only big in this sport not trying to hit threes 
is Andre Drummond. Now, he's the one exception to the rule. Brooke Lopez is hitting threes. Al Horford is hitting threes. Jared Allen's starting to hit threes. Everybody hits threes. Andre Drummond's the exception. So when Andre Drummond hit that three, I had to go to basketball reference. I had to look this up. I said, wait a second. I don't think he's ever hit one. He had never hit a three in his career. He was 0 for 11 last year. And I don't know how many of them were on broken plays, how many of them were, hey, let me just throw one up before the end of a quarter. I have no idea. But he was 0 for 11. And of course, he hits one. And if you look at the final score of this game, uh, yeah, it's pretty much the difference in this game. Now, let me get to the final three or four minutes of this game. Actually, before I do that, can I bitch about the officiating? Can I do that? Because I don't like to do that, and I don't do it that much on Twitter, and I don't do it that much on the air. This is going to be the exception. You know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast 20, 30 minutes after a net loss. This is my exception. My exception is right now I can bitch about the officiating. And I got two things that jump out at me. And I, and I think both of them... Everybody would agree with me on like I'm not nitpicking. I'm not looking at any charge that was called and saying it should have been on Blake Griffin early in the the first half. I'm not bringing up a call like that or the charge called on Allen for his third foul. I'm not bitching about any of that. Here are the two things I'm going to complain about. Number one, when Jared Dudley goes up to foul Blake Griffin because Blake Griffin's going to have an easy dunk and he clearly fouls him on purpose to send him to the line. They review it for five minutes and come back with a flagrant one. I mean, are you kidding me? Guys in the 80s would lose their lunch. And I know the NBA is officiated very differently, but that one was to the extreme. I mean, you know the intent here. He's not trying to injure Blake Griffin. Oh, he came in too high. It was around his neck. Come on. It was a good, hard, typical, I'd rather send him to the line and earn it kind of foul. And they call it a flagrant one after an 87-minute review? Do we really need that? And the second one was, and this one turned out not to matter, but I'm still annoyed about it. And that was when Blake Griffin is posting up Karis LeVert with, I'd say, man, there wasn't much time left in this game. There was a second left in the shot clock. I'd say about 15 seconds left in the game. All right? Nets it down by one. And Blake Griffin is posting up Karis LeVert battling, battling, Levert sticking with him. And finally, ball is knocked out of bounds, and they rule it's off Levert. My first reaction is, yeah, it looks like it was off Karras. All right, there's a second to go. Defend, make a play, get the ball back, down one. Let's go to town. Let's go. Kenny Atkinson is screaming and yelling, saying, hey, I think that ball was off of Blake. They show replay. It's clearly off Blake Griffin. Okay, fine. They're going to review it. Final two minutes, no big deal. They don't even review it. Well, why the hell do you have review if that specific play you're not even going to take a look at? And I get it doesn't matter because then I think they inbounded and Andre Drummond threw up a long three. I think that was when Drummond threw the air ball three. Nets got the ball back. We'll get to their play in a second. But still, what is the point of having replay in the final two minutes to check out a play like that and not check it out? The officials were wrong. And I'm not even mad that they were wrong. I'm mad that they wouldn't check it out. Now let's get to this final play. Clearly when the ball's inbounded by Dinwiddie, who had a great game tonight, he was fantastic. 
Levert is attacking Andre Drummond, who's playing with five fouls. And Drummond was playing very tentative over the last fourth quarter of this game. The Nets took advantage of it. I think Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie all had some easy layups going around Andre Drummond because he didn't want to defend and didn't want to commit that sixth foul. Levert sloppily turns the ball over. Dudley tries to call a timeout. But how typical is this? How many times have we seen the Nets down a point, down two, down three, not even able to get a shot off. Now, eventually, down three, after they were forced to foul Reggie Jackson twice, and of course he hit the free throws, good free throw shooter, they did get a shot off. Joe Harris forced a three to try to tie it, kind of a desperation shot. But down a point, seven seconds to go. And, and I said this to Levert when we had him on, this is one of my biggest concerns about the team. There is nobody, and I don't know if it'll ever be Karis Levert, I certainly don't know if it'll ever be D'Angelo Russell after tonight. I'll get to that in a minute. But there's nobody to put the ball in the hands of and say, go make a play. Nets had that with Joe Johnson, by the way. Joe Johnson was great at that. They don't have that. And I think that contributes to these issues that you see with the Nets closing teams out and making a play down the stretch. And they made this a game. Look, they had a one-point lead with three and a half minutes to go. This was a very... Winnable basketball game. And I think that is the thing that hurts them. Now, I have said in the past, is it Levert? Is it Dinwiddie? Is it D'Angelo? How about the fact that Kenny Atkinson took a shovel out tonight and buried D'Angelo Russell? It is one game. I'm not saying that is going to be something permanent. But that is a very telling sign about what they think. And by they, I don't mean just Kenny Atkinson, but Sean Marks too. What they think about D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell played about 25 minutes in this game. He wasn't great. He wasn't shooting the basketball incredibly well. He also wasn't turning the ball over a lot. Spencer Dinwiddie actually turned the ball over a bunch tonight. And you know, Dinwiddie, one of his specialties is that he doesn't turn the ball over all that much. But... Even though the Dinwiddie-Levert combo was working so well, no doubt, Levert had a great, I mean, Levert ended up with 27 points. He had a hell of a game. I was surprised he didn't try to get him back in there, especially since we were seeing big minutes out of Travion Graham, who I, I got to admit, I don't know enough about Travion Graham to sit here and, and destroy him and say he sucks. I mean, I'm not confident he's very good. I just haven't seen enough of him. Kenny Atkinson clearly loves him. I mean, he got 18 minutes tonight. But I think the, the telling story, not just in the game and the loss to the Pistons, but really, okay, what happens from here is D'Angelo Russell. He's a free agent at the end of the year. We all know the situation. They traded for him, hoping he could blossom into this star player. I mean, as we sit here today, the early returns in year number two are not very good, considering the lack of confidence that Coach Atkinson showed in him. Here are the positives. Right, because there actually are some positives, even though I'm pissed that they lost. Jared Allen didn't have a great second half. I think his first half, much like Brooke Lopez, <laughs> who was always a first-half player. Uh, but his numbers ended up pretty well. I mean, he had a double-double. He had the four blocks. He has the block on Blake Griffin. Uh, he had one sloppy turnover late in this game. He was looking for Levert in the corner, and he turned the ball over. But Jared Allen is 19 years old. I mean, think about that. He is a baby, and he has a chance to be so good. You hear the Clint Capella comparisons. Here's the difference. Jared Allen could hit the corner three, and we saw him do that twice tonight. In fact, the only threes they hit in the first half of this game 
if I'm not mistaken, came from Jared Allen, who had two of them, and the other one was the rookie Coolrich. And those are those were the only threes they hit in the first half of this game. And that was a problem throughout. I mean, they only hit five threes the entire night. But I think overall, Allen was a positive. I mean, Karis LeVert dropping 27 and the performance by Spencer Dinwiddie. I have been concerned that Dinwiddie may get lost on this team. How well can him and Russell play together? Well, in the second half, we didn't see it as much because Russell got buried. But Dinwiddie was really aggressive, and I like that. You know, if your three isn't falling and it wasn't for Dinwiddie, he didn't have three in this game, take it to the basket, especially against a big and foul trouble like Andre Drummond. And so that was the positive, but it is going to be a concern until proven otherwise this team closing teams out. You know, one of the spin jobs you could make on why the Nets would be good this year is, well, they lost a lot of close games last year. They'll win a few this year. And my counter is, well, let's see them win these games. Let's see them win these close games. I just can't assume they're going to win these close games. And tonight they didn't. And in game number one against the Pistons, they did not. And I admit, what always bothers me, and Joe will tell me, ah, you shouldn't worry about this, but I do. Okay, I'm sorry, I do. And most Net fans listening to this, would probably deep, deeply admit they do this too. It pisses them off when they see the Knicks playing well. Now, rationally, they played the Hawks tonight. We know that, but still, I got to wake up tomorrow morning in a world in which the Knicks are 1-0 and the Nets are 0-1. I don't like that world. And God forbid they lose Friday. Oh, my God. Now we got to live in a world where the Knicks are 2-0 and the Nets are 0-2? That better not happen. Anyhow, that's all I've got to say because I really want to go to bed. Actually, I want to watch the rest of uh, the baseball playoffs. But for all the Net fans, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope this was fun. I'll probably do a few more of these as the season rolls on. An instant reaction to a Brooklyn Net loss. Thanks for listening to the Evan Roberts Podcast. Make sure you listen to Joe and I 10 a.m. Monday through Friday. See you later.